Hey everybody, welcome to Sound Bombing. I created this show for people who want to experience a radical, life-changing journey through the sounds of my diverse guests. I hope that each sound you hear on this show will strengthen your faith, encourage your dreams, and challenge you to awaken the greatness within you. Drop the bomb. Drop the bomb. We're going to drop the bomb. This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new values, and a new experience. Student loan debt has topped $1.5 trillion in recent years, making it the largest type of consumer debt outstanding other than mortgages. The average student loan borrower graduates with nearly $30,000 in debt. The CFB estimates that over one in four borrowers are delinquent or have defaulted on their student loan debt. One predictor of borrower distress is whether the student attended a for-profit college While only a small minority of students enroll at a for-profit, these schools generate the largest share of defaults on federal student loan. In addition, investigations of large for-profit college chains such as ITT and Corinthian have revealed that private student loan programs offered at these schools have default rates of over 60%. Joining to me in the bomb, to, uh, joining me today in the bomb shelter is Shatavia Elder, author of Student Loans Are Devil, and she is gonna break all this stuff down. Cause let me just tell you, your man Dr. Lamar Darnell Shields don't owe nobody nothing. So what's up, Shatavia? Welcome to the bomb shelter. <laughs> what's going on? What's going on? So you, this timing is perfect because as you came into the bomb shelter, I share with you that my daughter had just got accepted into three schools. We're excited. She got accepted into Loyola. Grambling State University where everybody's somebody. That's why I went to school. And then also she was accepted into Prairie View. So this conversation is personal. I don't know about I don't know about anybody else listening to the show, but I'm about to sit here and pay attention to what you got to say because I love the look of your book. And when I saw the title of it, I said student loans are the devil. I know the woman that wrote this book. Had to either walk past the church, know somebody's been in the church, know somebody been in somebody's summer, uh, Sunday school. You added it all together, mm-hmm. and we're here. So welcome. Thank you for having me. So what is the what was the inspiration to writing this particular book? Well, I think the inspiration is pretty self explanatory. It was that one hundred and forty seven thousand dollars worth of student loan debt that I accrued without a Hold doctor wait, in front wait, of my name. Wait, wait, let's say that one more time. How much? How much is that? $147,000 in student loan debt. $147,000. Yes. So let's talk about how the hell did that happen? Oh, gosh, it's painful. <laughs> and is that common? It's pretty common. Yeah, from it is. Okay. It is. Um, I was a first generation college student. And honestly, the time when timing when I went through school, I was a pretty good student in high school, but I just, just did not have the mentorship or the guidance to really 
put me in the right places or connect me with the right people to secure those types of scholarships that were needed. And so with that, I just kind of jumped out there. I mean, I just had a goal to really just go to college at that time with no additional backing, support or guidance. And that's exactly what I did. So I went out to college and I said, hey, give me what you got. (laughs) And um, they gave it to you. They gave it. They gave me that and then some. And I really I mean, I just miss I I will say I misused some of the funds initially, but then I just didn't know that I had the skill set to truly go out there and seek the scholarships to be able to assist me with the funding. So that was part of the problem in the beginning. So it's interesting you say that. So at Grambling, where I went to school, we had something called refund day. I don't don't know if this is every HBC. My boy Vic (laughs) from California, God bless his soul. Vic made up a song. I wish I remembered the song, but refund day was a big deal. But what's interesting, because many of us, I'm, I'm like you, first generation college student. Um, my, my, my parents didn't really sit me down and talk about credit cards, even though I fought to get them off the campus. That's a whole nother conversation. Uh, they didn't sit me down and, and talk about a bank account and managing my money. So when refund came back, you know, that money, I was like not realizing that I need to pay this back. Of course, what did most of us do? I went to school in the 90s, Jordans, mm-hmm. Nike, starter jackets. Mm-hmm. We buying all of this stuff while I should have been investing that money. So, again, your story is very, very similar to my story because nobody really sat me down. And at that time, $2,000 was a big deal. But I think about what I could have done, even if I would have taken a thousand to spit to shop. And then if I would have invested another thousand dollars. So what lessons did you learn about um about the situation you went through and then what should we expect from reading this book? Wow, that's a lot. Um, Some of the lessons I will say that I learned was number one, you mentioned, I think 60% of the students are defaulting on the private student loans. There was a point when I went back for advanced degrees, when I did secure private student loans and that private student loans is really what turned a lot of the situation upside down. Um, and so that was that was added turmoil to what was already pre-existing from my federal student loans. And so when you couple those two together, it was just a, a disaster waiting to happen. So some of the things that I learned along the way was one, I got a degree in what felt like underwater basket weaving. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think is a degree in any college. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it wasn't connected to what I was aligned to personally. So again, just going to school and not being very certain about what I wanted to do. And again, when I told you, when I went to school, I just wanted to go to school and graduate to become that first person. I wasn't very specific in the goals in which I had set for myself. So one of the things that I've learned and one of the things that I also inspire youth today is that college is not meant to define your define yourself. It's really meant to de- refine your gifts and your skills that you already have inside of you. So having some sort of idea of who you are and what you are and what it is that you can truly contribute back to society before you even get to college is monumental. So I think that's one of the lessons that I learned. Um, Maybe about a year ago, I went to Yale University and I had an opportunity to speak to their first generation college students. Now, you didn't take out a student loan from Yale, did you? No, I didn't go to Yale, but I went everywhere else. Because I'm sure that student loan from Yale was probably very expensive. Okay. (laughs) But that was that was the thing that I, I noticed. And I had an opportunity to just really dialogue with some of the students. And I was asking, OK, so so now that you're here, because that was, you know, that's like a prized possession to be able to go to some of these top universities. And so I asked a lot of the students. So now that you're here, what do you see yourself going or what do you want to do or pursue in life? And I was absolutely amazed that still so many students at this higher ed institution had little to no clue on what they wanted to do. So I'm looking around at a table filled with students from Princeton, Yale, Penn State. 
and they're still almost clueless on what it is they want to do. So there, not only is there a student loan debt situation, there's more so just the discovering a path to purpose. Like, who are you truly meant to be in this moment? And how do we more so prepare you on the front end before even getting you to this place to ensure that you're truly maximizing in your gift and in your opportunity wherever you go in life? So when you when you think about right now, um, let's 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 back up before you before you wrote the book mm-hmm. and when you looked at that number yeah. what did you think about yourself during that time when you when you let's say you wrote that number on on a chalkboard or you wrote it in your computer on your computer or in your journal give me the feeling about yourself at that moment when you saw that number oh my gosh it was dis- i was just utterly disgusted um it was it was shame guilt it was something that i truly hid for the longest i wanted to help someone I wanted to tell someone, you know, hey, don't get student loans. But I was too afraid to even expose that part of me because there was a part of me that just truly felt insecure. Again, being an educator, um, I just felt like I should have had more. I should have had more wits about this. Like, I'm a pretty skilled chick. So why didn't I know to make those better decisions ahead of time? Why why did you think that you had the skills? I mean, you're, you're talking 18, 19, 20. Why did you assume that you had the skills? Um. I assumed I had the skills because I was a AB student in high school. Like I should have known better. I felt as though at the time I should have known better. But, but if I nobody's truly... teaching finance in school, nobody's right. teaching civics about voting or finance. So, I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on a young person. You think about it, that's a lot of pressure it for is. any young person going into college, 18, 19, you get this student loan, you sign off on it, you get this credit card. You, you think about the athlete, for example, you have these athletes who are coming out of, Stark poverty. And there's this whole conversation about should college students be paid for for playing basketball? And I think that they should. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, and then you get into the NBA or Major League Baseball. You play tennis and then you get this check. Mm-hmm. And it's the same kid that you knew from down the block. Parents didn't have anything. Lights cut off and every now and then. It's that pressure. It's the same pressure. Think about it. So nobody really sat that person down. This great athlete. Let's just say like a, like a LeBron James and, you know, those other athletes. Nobody really sat them down to say this. how you. So, again, you sort of fell in the same trap because maybe your parents mm-hmm. didn't sort of walk you through. And a lot of times in the black community, this this financial piece, we, we are shameful about sort of sort of where we are. And so what message do you have for other parents? Let's talk to the parents. Then we're going to come back to the kids. Mm-hmm. What message do you have for me as a parent who has a child eventually that's going to be going to college this year? Uh, what should I be looking for and what conversation should I be having with my daughter? Well, I think it's most important to keep in mind first that as parents, we can only do what we know to do. And I wanted my mother to to know that I didn't fault her for any decision that she made. I knew that she did the best with what she could do. So as a parent, release yourself from that responsibility first, but then also take action. What it, whatever it is that you may be lacking in skills or in guidance for your child, be able to secure that from someone else. So, for example, I also service as a youth success coach. I go in and I assist parents with parenting or guiding their students or their child through this process of how to secure the student. I mean, how to secure scholarships and how to go about identifying their purpose. So whatever the, the, the areas that, that there's a gap in as a parent. Don't be afraid to reach out for some support to be able to guide you through that process. So what message would you have to a young person like my daughter who's going to college right now? Uh, you talk to the parent. What message would you have for, for her or other children like her? Know your worth. Number one, know your worth. 
we, if, if I could have known my worth at that time, I would have snatched everything that was out there for me. And I think that's powerful for kids to understand now um, and to just be very cognizant and savvy on the approaches to be able to secure what is rightfully theirs. So um, wh- when you think about um, students who are going to college and you think about the kids that you might be working with whose parents might, might, might not have gone, gone to college, what are some what are some pitfalls that they make as they as they talk about choosing a college and then also applying for a student loan? Um, I think some of the pitfalls that I've seen that are very common is one deciding, you know, picking something that is just common, maybe a, a major that just feels good for the moment. Um, I remember when I was in college, everyone wanted to get a mark. Um, they wanted to be what do you call those sports managers? Mm-hmm. And just because they, you know, ran track at. Gresham Park Elementary, you know, Gresham Park Rec Center or something like that. So I think being very um, cognizant of the gifts that you've seen along the way with your child and um, helping to not place them, but strategically align them to the places and where they should be. Um, I think that's one area that I've seen just not being thoughtful and um, considerate about what it is that you've seen. So I would take that into consideration. Additionally, it's just... um, Go where they're going to pay you. <laughs> where is the money? And I, you know, I hate to, you know, quote that, but truly, where is the money in terms of what it is that you want to do? Again, college is not meant to give you everything. It's the relationships. It is the the um, the networking that I received from college that truly propelled me to where I wanted to be in life. So you know, there's there's this huge debate, and I and I can go in any direction about the cost of college. Is it really, really worth it? So you think about one hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars that you've spent for forty-seven hundred and forty-seven. Okay, there you, you you know it. We need to play that <laughs> in the lottery, right? Um, is it really, really worth it? You think about that. That's a huge debate right now, and there are people all over the place saying, "I'm spending all this money to go to college," and we know. For example, the lawsuit that the Asian community has either at Harvard or Yale. We know there's some students at NYU. You know, the school said once you come to this school, we we you guarantee you the job. It, you know, is it is it worth it? Do you think? Because well, that's a that's a debate <laughs> for a kid who might be listening and or a parent. I mean, right. you think you think about that. I think to each his own. I will say as it relates to my son, um, I have a nine year old son and I see right now certain areas in him. And I'm not sure where he's going to go and grow. I have no idea. But I do know, I, I take note of how, the type of person he is, and I'm not going to necessarily pressure him to Does go he to want college. to be a YouTuber? <laughs> <laughs> he used to be a rapper now, and a, an athlete. Now it's now a rapper, it's a, athlete, and a YouTuber. YouTuber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he wants to be an entrepreneur and a okay. real estate guy. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So um, what are some things that you wish somebody told you prior to applying to college and going after these student loans? Leave the refund checks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those refund checks Ladies, was a trip. Let me tell you. And so let me just we tell you. We were going to the mall. We that was, that was a big lobster, deal. Oh, man. So you just, were you there with me? Because I'm like, I might have seen, right. seen you at another table. Because, again, you know, young man, no job, refund check, taking the ladies out, big ball, a shot we caller. We people getting rims on refund oh, yeah. checks. I said, man, you guys just went too far now. This is ridiculous. And you know, it's interesting because we, we're being facetious and we're making fun right. of this, but again, these are people who no one has really sat us down to talk about finance. Mm-hmm. 
you don't hear a lot of that in other communities. But what's interesting, what I love that you said, and I'm assuming that when you went up to Harvard and you saw students from Princeton and they didn't look like they weren't people of color. So I'm sure you were like, wow, it's just not us. It's just not black and brown people who don't know where they want to go. Because we there's this misnomer that we think because these kids go to these prestigious universities and colleges, the Harvard, the Yale, maybe the Howard University, the Morehouse, that they know where they want to go. And again, we all are young people trying to figure this thing out. It's like a huge social experiment that we all are trying to figure out. And even though mom and dad may have money, and they, these may be some trust fund babies, we're still trying to figure it out. Because again, I joke YouTuber, but a lot of kids want to be YouTubers. I, you, you talk about video games, big, let me just tell you, big businesses. Mm-hmm. When you talk about gaming, the gaming community, and that's why when I asked the question about what do you think is worth it? Because again, the research that I've been doing lately on the gaming community, there's this one guy who makes from endorsements, and my son who's 11 is reading it, $500,000 a month on endorsements. We're talking about endorsements. And so again, we have to be mindful of the direction that we point our kids in. I'm not saying that college is the end-all, be-all. I know when you talk about the separation of how much money one makes to have a college degree and so forth, but then there's always these outliers, and these Mm -hmm. kids will tell you, they know them. They know the outliers. They've studied the outliers. So those parents that are listening, when they study the outliers, we also have to remind them of these other people who aren't the outliers, the outliers, those folks who did go to school and those those lessons that they learned. So let's talk about this, this book, your first book. All right, it's my first book. So how did you feel when that box came in the mail? Ugh. Because, again, getting the emails and getting the the photos online and all that, the mock-ups and the copy, that's kind of cool. You get a little giddy. But walk me through the day that you walked outside or this package was on your doorstep or it came into your house and you opened that box. Walk us through that. Oh, my gosh. So when I received, you guys should see her face. She is fired up. Walk <laughs> us through that. So when I received the package at my door, um, I, I was actually speechless because, I mean, of course, I've been through this whole writing process. But when the book was actually in my hand, there was a period of I want to be excited. But, oh, no, like I'm exposed. And again, it was those initial feelings that were still. When you say exposed, you're letting people know you've been very transparent. I've been very transparent. And that was. So that was the first thing you after you got off the the initial shock, like, but I don't it's like I'm it's like photos of me being naked in here. Like I knew they were beautiful photos of me, but now (laughs) everybody else is going to see it. That's interesting. You went from this to like. Within a a matter of a minute, it was too mixed emotions. So yeah. what's been the response from this particular book? Oh, wow. Um, it has truly, it's motivated me and pushed me to be even more transparent. It has given me the freedom. I remember um, I w- before I even started writing, there was, you know, I was kind of just doing meditating. And I remember just hearing a voice say, your way through this, your way to freedom is by writing this book. And I never understood what that meant. Because of the bondage that I truly felt from the student loans. But when I received that book and when I was able to hear the, you know, just testimonies from people and to really just work with people directly, I was able to feel that that freedom evolved as a matter. I mean, just just from writing each page, typing it on the computer, I felt the shackles literally falling off of me at that time. So you, you mentioned bondage and I saw sort of a visual Let's talk about what what that did to you. Just just 
knowing that you were in this debt and this feeling, what did it physically do to your body, maybe and mentally and spiritually? So this was before I even got married. I often wonder, often, you know how they say, well, you know, oh, I want a man to bring something to the table. And I was always thinking to myself, no, I have to bring something to the table. But what I didn't want to bring to the table of a new marriage was $147,000 worth of debt. And so even before getting married, I wondered about that conversation, that initial conversation. I also wonder, well, will this debt hinder me from being able to afford private school for my son? Like, you know, it's just so many of those things that that bondage was more than just financial. It was it was a weight. It will wake me up in the middle of a more of the mornings. And that's actually what started me to write in the book. It was the wake ups. Um, the wake ups literally would scare me. My heart would just palpitate in the middle of the night and I would literally jump up out of the bed and sit up thinking about student loans. And when it got to that point, I realized that I had to do something about this. I could no longer let it ruin or control my life. So walk us through the process of of the loan and what sort of where you are with that now. So right now with the process of the loan, um, and actually when you get the book, there's a chapter that explains that I started writing the book in maybe like January of that year. And so as I started writing the book during January, I was, you know, telling my writing coach, who is Marina Gilmore from FullCirclePress.org. Shout out. Um, I was just telling her, you know, like, you know, we were going through the process of writing and I was still trying to get used to this whole writing thing. And in the middle of it, I'm like, okay, yeah, this feels good. You know, I'm I'm doing I'm I'm making some gains. And then all of a sudden in February, this is from January to February, I get a knock at the door. It was the police. They were coming, basically asking for their student loan money. So in the middle of me writing about freeing myself from student loan debt, here I am with a knock at the door, basically like, hey, we need our money and we need it now. So I literally just wanted to quit. I wanted to quit writing. I felt like I was being exposed. I was being tested. I didn't want any parts of this. I felt as though maybe I shouldn't have even touched this subject. Maybe I should have just kept my mouth quiet. But then my my writing coach, she said, no, you write through this. You push through this. You continue going. And it was her voice. It was her push. It was her divine power just coasting things along to that freedom point. So that was part of my writing process and what got me to this level of freedom. Like, I'm chill now. So the police didn't take you away, did they? No, they didn't take me away, but they <laughs> took some money from me. They so took with some a, money. Yeah, I had to go ahead and start coughing up some money. So out of $147,000, um, I was able to pay back roughly about about $60,000 of debt. And so you're um, still paying? I am still paying, but that was the majority of the private student loan. So the um, the pro- the federal loans that are still remaining, I was able to make some financial um, arrangements with that and and get some um, additional resources to help me as far as learning how to manage the student loans debt, student loan debt, and even get my payments reduced to a wonderful amount of zero dollars. So let's talk about that process. So someone that might be listening to the show mm-hmm. who's in this situation, like like five O didn't come to the house, mm-hmm. but they might be there because they might be dodging them. Yes. Uh, what is that process like? And you, can you walk us through that? Some some suggestions. I know there's some loan forgiveness programs. Mm-hmm. What's the first thing that people should do? So one of the first thing is to identify whether you have private or federal student loans. The private student loans are much more aggressive. Um, and that is where the, the law would definitely come into play very, very soon. So I would advise anyone to just take action on that immediately. And also um, with the private student loans, a lot of the gaps that we've, you know, that they've been able to un- um, to reveal is that these loans have been sold multiple times. And a lot of times paperwork has been lost. And you have to, in order to, there's a, there's a process where you can actually 
they get the company to let me see how to say this. You can force the hands of the company that has the loans to come up with the documentation to prove that you owe them. And so if any one of those paper, you know, the documents is missing, then you can let that student loan go. You can be forgiven. Wow. So you have to be very skilled in that fine. I would um, definitely suggest hiring an attorney. I did hire an attorney to assist me with the process. So that was with the private loans. <laughs> we still have some more over here on the federal side. So the federal side I found was much easier to deal with as far as just calling them. And that was part of my issue. I was just scared. I didn't even feel like calling, you know, Sally Mae or calling federal loans. I didn't even want to do that. But just being transparent and calling them and setting up some arrangements to work with you. So what's next with the book, uh, Student Loans Are Devil? Student Loans Are the Devil. So what's next is truly just um, speaking to youth groups. That's what I've been doing lately. Um, In addition to speaking with a lot of educators about this, because just being an educator myself, that was one that's a a target audience that has truly come around and um, solicited the support as well. So you're out there on the circuit promoting the book, discussing it. What are some things that you're learning from other people that you're that you're coming in contact with? That I was not alone. That was the main thing. And for the longest, that's what I felt. I felt isolated. And even though I probably knew some of my friends were in the same boat, no one really talked about it. And so what I'm learning is that I'm not alone and that if we help each other and we're breaking generational curses with this thing. You've been amazing. Um, uh, Before we wrap up, how can our listeners get in contact with you? Absolutely. And how could they get the book? Yes, you can get the book on my website at ShataviaElder.com. Again, that's S-H-A-T-A-V-I-A. E-L-D-E-R dot com. Also, you can find me on Facebook as well as Twitter. Shatavia, thank you for joining me in the Bomb Shelter. It's been great talking with you. You've truly blessed me and my listeners. I wish you much success. I would also like to thank my producer, Darius Wilmore, and Supremacy for our theme music and to all my listeners. And as always, believe that something wonderful is about to happen. And that some people miss the message because they're too busy looking for the mess. Thanks for tuning in and do something for someone other than yourself today. Peace. Thank <laughs> you.